It's a tough mission, but I think you're ready. If we're gonna save the colonies, we're gonna need Gundam. Welcome back to Gundam at MAHQ. Uh, Gundam is actually celebrating uh, an anniversary today. We're actually celebrating the 10th anniversary. How do we make it? This is it? episode 10. And uh, this is probably going to be one of the more um, you know, re- responsive episodes for, for, from our listeners. Um, today's topics include a guest from the uh, Gundam Forum, or actually from the Mecha Talk Forums. That would be our un- friend. Under the name of Destiny Gundam. His name is Peter La Liberté. Okay. From the Great White North. And he's going to be covering with us uh, the Super Robot Wars original generation, both the anime show and some of the games and how they tie in. And finally, we're just going to be doing two two topics this, this show. And the last topic we'll be covering... Kind of our comparison, thoughts, similarities, influences on uh, three probably the most popular uh, science fiction franchises out there in Star Wars, Star Trek, and Mobile Suit Gundam. So, mm-hmm. But uh, before we do that, like always, oh, my news. Neo's news. Breaking, breaking. Yes. Breaking. Destination Tokyo. Don't cut yourself. But, uh, <laughs> sorry. But <laughs> sorry, folks. In joke on that one. Uh, but keep keep your keep things uh, keep tuned to the Gundam because it might come to fruition one of these days. Wait, so. wait, no introductions, man. Oh, I'm sorry. As always, Sobro Ryu, always, baby. I am joined by Sobro Ryu. That's me right here. <laughs> and podcasting live from South Florida. Good old Chris. There you go. And I'm Neil Lornoke, Everyone, sorry about that. I thought they would know us by now. <laughs> but nobody knows who I am. Oh, no. <laughs> But yeah, so We're gonna cry. guys, so so quick news today. <laughs> um, this is actually pretty good game news that we have, and oh, uh, like always, all my all my news is courtesy of Ganoda or Ganada. Um, and the first one is about uh, GameStar posted some details about. I guess there's a new game uh, that that's um, coming out for the PS2 in Japan, and it's called The Battle of Sunrise. It's a simulation RPG. And it's basically has all the Sunrise heroes. And it's going to be released on April 10th in Japan. And it's going to feature about 200 mecha and characters from eight Sunrise animes. Man. And those shows include Mobile Suit Gundam, Shars Counterattack, Panzer World, Panzer World Gylant, uh, Metal Armor Dragnar, Armor Troopers Botomes. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> that is a Gundam favorite. And SPT Lesnar. And Yay. and another great show, King of Braves Go Gygar. Brace yourselves. Yay. <laughs> Zentai Muteki Raijino and Round Round Vernon Vifen. Kinda yeah. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess on the uh on the GameStars uh website there's gonna be some um Features on some of the special time, special moves that they have, some of the hidden elements with some of the storylines, characters in Mecha, um, and some of the some some things dealing with the original characters in Mecha and other RPGs. Uh, pre-orders of the Battle of Sunrise include a visual file, nine visual sheets featuring the main Mecha drawn by Gundam Seeds Chief Mecha Animation Director. Chris, what would this be? Satoshi Shigeta. Famitsu says that the game is about 70% complete, so if this is like Street Fighter, it's probably already 
complete. Oh, so, you're funny. Because everybody always lies about how, how complete these games are. Yeah, Capcom so. says I got a news item for you. <laughs> I know we weren't going to mention it, but hmm. I figured we should probably mention it just this time. What's that? The uh, news from GameSpot Japan that uh, Gearin's Greed Menace of Axis was the <laughs> number two game <laughs> with 123,000 copies sold. Could it be us? I personally think... That that is all due to you, sir. Yeah, I for some that is all due to you. Well, thank you. I I will be expecting that check in the mail from Bandai Namco, and you know, and free copies for everybody this week, or or, or the Char Custom PSP, or even this Char cell phone, or you know, actually just give maybe a, a trip, maybe a trip to the uh, the 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 Char Day Spa. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> How could anyone ever forget about the Char Day Spa? I forgot about that. <laughs> I had no idea that existed. I, yeah, no, I, I, I hope, um, I, I hope we get some credit on there because we did talk about it more than anything. But um, yeah, there. You, and and by the way, everyone, we say this firmly, tongue in cheek. We don't actually think that we were responsible for any sales of this game. I, I doubt maybe it. one or two. We were yeah. responsible for the one person that imported it. Yeah, the, that's right. The three people that, <laughs> yeah, the three people that imported it from Play Asia. <laughs> Probably playing it right now as he listens to us. <laughs> <laughs> but um, there's some uh, some Double Zero news, like always, since Double Zero is the current show, and we're always excited about Double Zero news. Uh, the the Gundam Double Zero official site put up some pics of the FG Zero Gundam in its products section, and also on the Bandai Hobby Double Zero Gunpla site, um, there's uh, there's something some Extra randomly chosen people will receive the Zero Get campaign, and it'll be revealed in a big announcement on March 7th. So I don't really know the details too much about that, but I'm sure if you go to the uh, Bandai Hobby Gun Plus site, um, you'll be able to find more details about that. And also in Double Zero News, the Double Zero DS official site updated its privilege page with pics of the Gundam Exia rollout color version, both in the Gunpla and in the line art. Um, there's also some more s- screenshots that are available to be viewed on Dengeki Online and Game Watch. Uh, the Gunpla's Navi mode comes with the Gunpla catalog and four lessons. One is assembling the FG Gundam Exia. Two is simple detailing and Gundam markers. Three is assembling the 1100 Gundam Exia. And four is methods of painting and plum model custom painting tools. So I think this is a pretty neat feature anybody, for the game. Obviously, it's advertising yeah. for buying all that junk, but <laughs> that's kind of a neat unlockable that you play this game and you unlock tips on how to build model kits. So yeah, it is. It is pretty cool, and I, I do I do encourage people to go to these websites to view the screenshots. I I checked them out before when I was getting all this stuff, and the game looks great. Like I've said before, these DS games are just keep getting better and better looking, and um, it looks like a pretty pretty fun game. So anybody that's enjoying Double Zero definitely uh, pick that up and. Like um, like we said before, all DS games, if they're Japanese games, so you'll be able to play it here in America. You just Man. may have to go through a lot of Japanese uh, menus. So. I should have played that game. I just built two Gunpla from Double Zero this week. <laughs> <laughs> At work, bored as all get out. But uh, some other Gundam news. Uh, of course, uh, what, what would be, would there be a week in Japan without a Gundam festival? I don't think so. But uh, the Amusement Park Greenland is going to be holding Gundam World 2008 from March 15th to June 29th. Wow, imagine this. Featured is an exhibit devoted to Char Asimov. I bought my ticket. (laughs) 
I, I, I can't believe they would even talk about that guy. It seems like he's one of the least favorite characters. But um. <laughs> <laughs> who is that guy? Wasn't he in like, wasn't he like in Gundam Wing or something? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's Low Rent Char. Low Rent Char. <laughs> this is Char Asnable. Budget Char. <laughs> <laughs> Budget Char. But um, anybody that's going to be in, uh, I guess, in uh, Japan during those dates, definitely go check that out. So, And they're also going to have a premiere of a large Gundam Double Zero diorama. That's so awesome. That'll be kind of cool. But um, and last few little things here. The um, uh, Gigazine posted some pics and s- four YouTube videos of the Gundam vs. Gundam at the AOU Amusement Expo. I really want uh, that 2008. game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that's that's the arcade game, right, Solbro? Yeah, the new uh, one that's coming out from Capcom. So and that'll definitely um, if you want to check that out, definitely go to those sites and and you know see what see what's going on, see what all the uh, hubbub's about on that game. Oh man. And finally, uh, the Gundam Unicorn official site had some updates. And on the official site, they posted a summary for the Palu Capture Battle 2, uh, a mini event report of recent signing appearances by author Fuku. Fuku? Is that how you say that? Fukui. Fukui? Yeah. And a profile of the RGM-89S Stark Jigen. The Jigen, man. So I guess that's what, um, is that built by Stark Industries, that one? Not Anaheim? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, slipping in that Iron Man reference. Oh, and uh, that was that was well done. That was worthy of me. And Thank you. the uh, the tra- and the translation by Mark Simmons is at Mecha Talk. So. Oh man, Mark. What's Mecha Talk? I don't know. <laughs> I think it's just this as place where people just complain about things. Oh no. <laughs> oh, oh, just kidding, folks. Man. Just kidding. But um. Man, now they're all gonna be leaving in droves. Thanks a lot, buddy. No, 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 no. It's a Way great to place to go, and we always encourage everybody to go there. Because Gundam's not the only thing you can talk about on forums there, but uh, like always, that's the that's the end of the news, and we'll be back in a little bit with our first topic, which will be the Super Robot Wars uh, original generation. You're listening to Gundam at MHQ. This isn't the biggest bag over the head punch in the face I ever got. Everybody, welcome back to Gundam at MAHQ. Uh, this time we're going to be starting off our first discussion of Super Robot Wars. It's been requested by fans, and uh, to join us in this discussion, we've got uh, Peter Lalibert, who is reviewing Super Robot Wars and writing uh, profiles for the series. You also know him on the forums as Destiny Gundam, so say hello, Peter. Hey, everybody, how's it going? What's up? I just know my last name is uh, Liberty. Liberty. Not <laughs> whatever you said it. Everybody pronounces it wrong. Uh, 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 well, well, La Liberty, you said? Yeah. All right. Well, I'll make sure to. It's it. supposed to be French, but we're not French, so we just use an Englishified version of it. <laughs> oh hell, you're just Destiny Gundam to me. <laughs> <laughs> that works too. It's probably easier. Whatever. <laughs> so uh, this time we're gonna start off by focusing on original generation. So for those who really aren't familiar with Super Robot Wars. Briefly, it started off back in 1991 as a strategy RPG series, sort of like a mashup of Gundam and Macross and all these other robot franchises. But pretty much since the beginning, they've been creating um, 
original characters in Mecha, which are so creatively named the Banpresto Originals. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they started making games that uh, just had original characters, and one of the more well-known ones is the original Generation series, which had a couple of sequels and remakes and its own anime. So uh, that's what we're going to be focusing on today. So um, since you reviewed most of the uh, TV anime Divine Wars, Peter, uh, give us a brief rundown about uh, the show and your thoughts on it and how it differs from uh, Original Generation 1, the game that it's based on. Okay, well, the basic plot premise is that it's the space era, which normally they tend to change their calendars whenever they move into and they have space colonies and all that stuff, but um, generally they haven't advanced that much because they got slammed with two uh, meteors in the past. One hit uh, New York and the other hit Moscow, I believe it was. Wow. Mm -hmm. So they're more technically declined than what they normally should have been. Right. But then um, a third meteor comes and hits on this island called uh, Idinius Island, and it's in the Marquise Island. I I'm not quite sure where that is. Anyways, um, the weird thing about that meteor is that it actually slowed down before it hit us, so it wasn't that damaging. Right. And they studied it, and they found that it was actually artificial, and that it had what they call extra over technology, which is highly right. alien technology, way beyond anything that we could ever make ourselves. Kind of like over technology from Macross. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's the same basic premise, except it's a meteorite instead of a spaceship. That's really cool. Yeah. So they infer from there and that they got giant robots so we should probably be making our own giant robots to counter them so that's what we do and the personal trooper or pts as they're called is what resulted in that so that's their uh, giant robots there and the first one was the gespenst which is german for ghost and right so they're developing all this stuff and uh the story kicks off with the ryusei dat he's a uh, Jap japanese guy and he's a huge uh, super robot fanboy so uh, ro robots are his life, or as he says, robots are a man's passion. Heck yeah. <laughs> That's the line he, con he constantly says. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it works for me. I concur. So he enters this uh, tournament called Burning PT, which is like a mech simulator that you play in an arcade and tournaments and stuff. So him and his friend uh, Kusa Mizuha, who's his uh, classmate there, they they go to this tournament where Risei gets into the finals. Mm -hmm. And th th this is more or less for, like the first major change there is that there's this other guy named Tenzin Nakajima, right. who's also this big hardcore gamer. Biggest dick gamer. of them all. Yeah, that yeah, hate guy's such a dick. Oh man. Yeah, he, yeah he's pretty. <laughs> so <laughs> no, seriously, because. <laughs> <laughs> that guy Tenzin, he's like he's like that guy that you're playing like you know say Call of Duty Four with or something else. It's like he like snipes you from behind and then like he comes and like teabags your your dead body while you're respawning. Oh yeah. And he's like, ha ha, I pwned you. He's he's that kind of guy. Nice. Yeah. yeah that kind of guy. That's we a new level of hate, man. He's the Biff to his the main character is Marty McFly. Nice. Use nice. the Back to the Future reference. Hey man, that's how that's, that's how nerdy I am. That's funny. <laughs> So anyway, in the anime, Tenson was actually at the tournament and he kicked Ryusei's ass in the finals. But in the original Game Boy Advance game, he didn't show up, so Ryusei won. So this was changed in the original generations, which is the PS2 remake. They added 
Tenzin in there. So canonically now, Tenzin did kick Ryusei's ass in the finals there. And uh, so Ryusei takes that pretty hard because it was going to be his last uh, Hmm. big tournament there because his uh, mother is hospitalized, so he needed to focus on uh, paying her bills. So earlier they had visited her and he said he wasn't going to go to college, but she kind of talked him out of it and told him that he should worry about his own future and do what he can do. So anyway, so Ryusei's pretty bummed there, but he has like Kusa's there there with him, and all of a sudden, big explosion happens, and this giant robotic bug crashes into the stadium. And <clears throat> so while they're running for their lives, as most people would do, uh, Kusa gets trapped under some rubble. So he tries to help her, but she tells him like to go on and whatnot. But luckily or unluckily, uh, whichever way you look at it, uh, Yusei was being monitored by this guy named Ingram Pliskin and his uh, <laughs> subordinate there, Aya Kobayashi. And Ingram has a uh, Dispense Mark II type PT sent out for Yusei the pilot just to test him because he has like psychic powers. Not unlike new types, but it's more on a, uh, oh, this is just some special ability some people have and nothing more than that. So the type PT, which stands for uh, uh, T-Link type, I think, or something like that. T-Link is their, like, Psychomu system. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. That, that, make, that, makes a, that, that definitely makes sense. Yeah, so Ryusei gets into the dispense there, and he fights, fights the bugs, but he, 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 manages, he manages to destroy one, but the, the rest swarm him, and he kind of can't handle it because he's just some kid who got thrown into a dying robot. Oh my gosh. Where have I heard that one before? Uh, that's, that's a new twist. <laughs> so, so coincidentally, the uh, cockpit system of the Gispense is uh, exactly the same as it is for the video game that he's playing. So exactly- where, where have I heard that one before, too? No way. Sweet. Oh my god. I've never heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> Were the keys left in the mech, too? Uh, no, there wasn't any keys, but... Yeah, he just kind of activated it like he did in the game. So he's like, oh, hey, it's just like the game. I wonder, Push button start. Wait, is the game a training simulator for the real thing? Ho, ho, ho. Gee, I wonder. <laughs> well, hello, Macross Frontier. <laughs> <laughs> At least it's got a better name than Hard-On. Ouch, ouch. <laughs> Another thing that I thought was interesting was that... um. When Ryusei first gets into the dispense, like, the bug slams into him and, like, takes him up into the air and drops him into the ground. And he actually, like, pukes all on, over his cockpit. Oh, oh great. Now, that is new. I, I forgot about that. So, yeah, like, he's not in the pilot or anything, so the G-forces are bound to get some sort of reaction like that out of him. So, anyways, he gets surrounded, and, the, and that's when the first episode ends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the next episode, he gets bailed out by this, uh... Um, experienced pilot guy named Kai Kitamura and his uh, dispense troops, and they take out the bugs. But Ryusei manages to use a uh, T-Link Ripper, which is um, pretty much this psychically guided buzzsaw that you fire out and cut stuff up. So he manages to do that, and like everybody's surprised. Like, oh, he managed to do that on his first try? Kind of thing. So afterwards, he gets arrested for using military hardware without like being a civilian, right? She's giving him an ultimatum to either, like, go to jail or join the military. So, kind of no-brainer here, he joins the military, but he he makes it so the stipulation is that the military will pay all his uh, mother's hospital bills. That's cool. So, he at least gets something out of it. And it's not really like he's against the idea, right, piloting a giant robot. So, that, that kicks things off and... 
so you see him like training to become a better pilot, but he's kind of he's hot headed, so he runs out and he gets his ass kicked by a bunch of tanks. Wait, wait, tanks? Yeah, tanks. Hot blood only works so far. Oh snap! <laughs> he's got a he's got a long way to go then. Yeah. So he just rushed in, but the tanks had like better strategy and stuff, so. He got his ass whooped. And then afterwards, he gets, like, beat up by some of the tank's mm. pilots. <laughs> Insult to injury. Yeah, but his <laughs> other teammate, uh, Rydies F. Brainstein, some German name like that. Brainstein? Brainstein, something like that. First there's Pliskin, Brainstein, and, and, and Pliskin, man. Pliskin. I, I, I held my tongue on Pliskin. Yeah. Is there a box? <laughs> now that's a cool-ass last name. Is there a box around? <laughs> But Brainstein, I gotta watch the show. I really do, though. I've 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 been seeing it up for a long time, and um, I saw the first. Do you have like forty or fifty dollars to spare per volume? Uh, no. Uh, like 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 you, Chris. I will wait for the bargain bin. Yeah. <laughs> I'll wait for the Amazon blowout or the blowout at right stuff. It was online, but I think I don't think I saw it. It, it stopped at episode twenty. But yes, yeah. yes. That's just what I heard. But we support the real versions of products here, so right. And I and I mean that seriously. Yes, Peter, for the record, is actually buying the DVDs. Yes, I am. But I'm not stupid enough to buy them at full price. I'm getting bargains. Like if you uh, pre-order stuff from Right Stuff, you get like twelve bucks off. So well played, Canadian. Well played. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, our money's worth more than yours is too. So. That's a nice jab. I will, I will I will think of a counter someday. <laughs> Anyway, back back to uh, back on topic here. So Rye, he's a uh, he, he's pretty young, but he's experienced, and his family is a uh, prestigious uh, military family. So he's got a lot going up behind him. Like mm -hmm. so, he's the one that usually tells her, "You say he's being an idiot, and he's gonna get himself killed, and generally being a jerk to him." But kind of rightfully so. Yeah, where you say really was a jerk at the beginning. Yeah, he didn't get it. So is he is he a more of a real robot pilot? Well, um, the main character is a super robot pilot. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And, and then you have I in there too. She's the standard hot and busty uh, commanding officer there. Nice. That's nice. a new twist. But, but, she, but she's a really nice lady though. So. Oh, okay. And uh, it, it's kind of funny because uh, when uh, Rai was introduced, uh, Ryuse goes, "Oh, now we got the woman, and now we got the cool playboy type." <laughs> How, how cliche is that? And the other two didn't know what he was talking about. Not at all. So anyways, the three of them are put into a team called the SRX team. And Ryusei wonders what that stands for, but they say, oh, you'll figure it out later. <laughs> well, um, since um, we've gone into the anime a little bit, how about the games? Um, from your impressions of playing the games, which one, you've had the, which one do you think is the best, um, the, the one you've had the most fun playing in the series? I played Original Generation 1 and Original Generation 2. The uh, At Atlas released them in English over here on the Game Boy Advance. So I played those two. Right. And uh, of the two, OG2 is by far superior in every single aspect of OG1. Better graphics, better storylines, better mechs, better characters. Right. It's just, it's, like, OG1 had all, like, it was pretty awesome, too, but, like, OG2 just added so much onto it and made it so much better. Wow. Is, is it a direct continuation of Part 1? There's or is uh, six, six months between uh, okay, OG1 cool. and OG2. So you get to see a lot of the same faces from 1 to 2. Right. That's that's pretty cool. Okay. The Divine Crusaders are this, this uh, group formed from the EOTI, which is the Extra Over Technology Investigation Institute. They're, like, the foremost, like, they know, every, like, mo most of what there is to know about the extra over technology than any, anybody else. They started a rebellion against the uh, Earth Federation there, 
and it's because in Antarctica, the Earth Federation had a meeting with the aerogators, or rather, they weren't the aerogators, they were the guests, as they called, made sure to uh, point out that they were called. And um, it turns out that they were actually, uh, like, it was under the guise of peace talks, but it was actually the Earth Federation higher-ups trying to sell out the human race so they would save their own hides when the aliens invaded. Oh, wow. Bien Zoldark, the leader of the Divine Crusaders, he's like, nah, -uh, not going to let that happen. So he has one of his right-hand men, Shu Shirakawa, who's like the awesome, I have so much respect for that guy. He has this mech called the Grandson, which is like super powerful, like hucks black holes at people and stuff like that. <laughs> super, super powerful. It's got, it's got an AI that can um, handle like over 60,000 enemies at once or something like that. What? And, and Shu built the entire thing pretty much by himself. And use like three quarters of the Divine Crusaders budget to make it. Oh, nice. Oh, my God. So anyways, he, he was there in Antarctica and he uh, attacked the alien ship and caused everybody to get into this fight and like pretty much kicked everybody's ass from like <laughs> their, the guests to the uh, Earth Federation. And he handily <laughs> took out Rai, I, and Ryusei uh, pretty much at the same time. But then um, the, the first band, Presto original ever, who is Masaki Ando, and his uh, robot called Cybuster come up, show, show up and uh, stop Shu because he's got a personal vendetta against him. So they, they clash for a bit, but Shu just kind of smirks at him and is like, okay, I've had enough fun here, and he just leaves. Right. So that starts the Divine, the divine Crusader War, which is where they get the Divine Wars from. Right. Well, wait a minute. Um, The Lord of Elemental, does that have any role in the um, Super Robot Wars um, OG at all? Yeah, Cybuster is from the Lord of Elemental. Okay. okay. So is Shu. But so far, those are the only two who have that are related to the, that storyline. Okay, cool. Well, there's Loon Zoldak too, but she first showed up in Super Robot Wars 3, so not in the Lord of Elemental games. Because in one of the SRW games, I remember Lord of Elemental was in it, and I, was, I didn't realize it was a Band Presto original. I always thought it was an actual, sh I thought it was a show, but it was the original for Band Presto, and it became a show afterwards. Yeah, it became a show afterwards, which I also reviewed. Right. Anyway, so Bian, um, he doesn't like how they're, he, he loves the Earth, so he didn't, he didn't approve of the idea of selling it out to save somebody's hide, so he basically started a war to overthrow the corrupt Federation government there and uh, protect the world from the Arrowgators. So they have this um, mass-produced mm -hmm. mecha called the Lion, and uh, it, it can fly on its own in the atmosphere. It's, it's low-cost, low it's got high maneuverability. It's right. pretty much really... It, it's rather balanced and better than the guest spence because the, ar the armor modules are all very advanced and, and very powerful compared to the personal troopers. Oh, okay. Right, because it, it, they're made by the people who understand this alien technology the best, right? So yeah, and the, the guest spence themselves never saw that much mass production, so there's not that many at, around. Right. So, anyway, so they get sworn by the lions and pretty much they're losing one base after another. So the only thing they can do is they got this super powerful battleship called the Hagane, which is a uh, Space Noah class ship. And uh, so they sent, send that out to strike uh, DC's headquarters on uh, Idania's island there. So Ryusei joins that, that, um, that ship there and they head out. Right. So here's where another major change from the game comes, is that um, before they reach Idania's island, they go up into space to help out the uh, ATX team, which is the other main characters and their battleship the the Hugh uh, custom and they're fighting the uh, United Colony Corps which is the colony military and they're uh, backing up the DC oh wow and the leader oh, wow. is, of that is actually Rai's father 
and his brother's also fighting with them. Oh man! Yeah, so so Rai's not too uh, fond of his father or his brother because um, okay, family ties being broken. Th this is explained more in OD2, but uh, Elzem was forced to kill his own wife to uh, save a colony from being gassed. Wow! And, and Rai kind of had like a boyish crush on his sister-in-law, so he he never forgave his brother for uh, killing her. Wow, that's that's that that is pretty that's pretty deep right there. Yeah. So the SRX team and the ATX team hook up in the game though this came after the divine war because uh it actually started out with the uh the r1 which is you say is like upgraded his main mech that he's test piloting versus the uh alt eisen which is uh kyosuke nambu who's the other main character his uh mech which is this big bulky red thing that can barely stand on its own <laughs> <laughs> but it has lots of cool weapons. Yeah, it's got lots of cool weapons, and Kyosuke's just that badass that he can pilot this thing and nobody else can. Right. So anyways, they actually fought in the game, and depending on whoever route you took, because at the beginning of the game you can choose to be Kyosuke or Ryusei. And the story's very different between the two of them, at least in the beginning. The, the, the first half is the story is, are the same, but it's just that they're they're running uh, parallel to each other within the same timeline. So like while Ryusei's off on the Hagane, Kyosuke's off on the... Kyu Kai and that they both coexist in the same universe. Like they don't overlap and they don't retcon each other at all. It's just later in the game there are some differences. Anyway, so in in the anime there they hook up and they take out the uh, United Colony Corps while they're entering the atmosphere. And uh, they they also fight um, Zanger Zombolt, who's a fan favorite here. He was actually Kyosuke's. Uh, team leader but he defected to the divine crusaders and he carries a big ass sword oh yeah he has a big ass sword and his uh trademark my is my name is zanger zanger zumbolt i'm the sword that cleaves evil <laughs> all right <laughs> nice sure enough he cleaves things all right so when they fight him and in the game that was a big thing where he was a traitor and everybody's all like oh no how, how dare you betray us and stuff like that and so, so after taking, uh, so after uh, Rai's dad gets killed, the two ships that go down to Earth to, uh, or no, just the Gane does, but the Hiryu gives it all of its mechs to beforehand. So they go to Idenius, and uh, and they they face off against Bian in his uh, Valzion, which is the DC ultimate weapon. Though, though it's probably it's like, yeah, it, though it's probably weaker than the Granzon, but it's still pretty powerful. He he, he takes out some of them, though he doesn't actually kill them. Or it, it's just the one guy. Uh, his name's uh, Brooklyn Luxfield. Everybody calls him Bullet. Brooklyn. <laughs> Top of the food chain. So he kind of charged in with his dispense against this huge ass valve on here, and he just gets blasted away like it was nothing. Though his mech was just trash, but he was fine. He was in the hospital for the next few episodes. But so they basically can't touch him because he has this barrier on him. But uh, right. Ingram there, he's the leader, so he comes out with this strategy that's pretty reckless. But as he said, the possibility isn't zero. So they all combine and they break through the barrier and then Misaki gets a killing blow in with his Cybuster and that's the end of Bian there. After he gives his uh, special speech though before dying. Yeah, he, he, he walks off into the sunset as he recites his poem. And then he, then he blows up. Nice. Then, he, then he blows up. <laughs> but Bian was really a great man though because like, one of his goals was actually it was either the Divine Crusaders would win and take over and they'd be able to defend Earth from the aliens or the Divine Wars would like make the, the, the Earth Federation realize that they're being stupid and they have to it kind of got them ready for the impending alien invasion so Bian just wanted to save the Earth even if he had to become evil to do so 
So it was a personal sacrifice on his part, and I can't help but respect the guy for that. So he's justified in what he did. That's true. Let's quickly uh, wrap up the, the uh, irrigator so that we can get to the uh, OAV. All right. Well, after BMWs died, he had this Adler guy who was being an asshole, so they killed him later. But the irrigators, they show up on Earth with this um, giant planetoid called uh, Nevin, or Nevim, or however you pronounce it. And... They're there and they start abducting people, like so soldiers mostly, or entirely. So, uh, and then Ingram betrays everybody. It turns out that he was an irrigator spy all along and he was manipulating everybody to make them good uh, samples. So he basically wanted to, like, abduct everybody, brainwash them, and turn them into irrigator soldiers. So uh, he betrays them. He uh, shoots down Aya there, who had a crush on him, so... She, she was pretty hard hit by that. And then uh, he kidnaps Kusaha, who became a mech pilot because she also has some psychic powers. And uh, so they, they, they were all pretty bummed after that. But then um, mm -hmm. the, the SRX team was put under investigation because, oh, the, you, this, your leader guy was a traitor, so we have to investigate you, make sure you aren't going to turn code on us at any time. And at that point, they all had their um, their R-series machines. Ryusei as the R1, Rai as the R2, and I as the R3. And they all combined into one giant robot called the SRX, or Super Robot X. But the one time they tried it, they failed. They, they couldn't combine properly, and that's when Ingram betrayed them. Oh, man. So here's where it also differs from the game, is that um, the, the game, the Arrowgator conflict, was far more drawn out. And uh, Tenzin, who was killed at end of the Divine Crusaders War, he, he actually came back originally as an irrigator puppet called uh, Gaza Hagingner or something like that, so you get to kill him again. So it's basically just kind of oh, wow. filler stuff where it's just your ships are going around and then you get attacked by irrigators and then you beat them and then you just go on to the next mission kind of thing. Because originally they gave Earth like 30 days to surrender to them and they're all like, oh, well, why are they giving us 30 days? It's almost like they want us to mount a counterattack against them. So the anime just jumps into Operation SRW. You say wonders what that means. <laughs> and the answer is? A Excellent thinks it's um sexy romance weapon. <laughs> okay. so she, she, she's the, like the goofball, so she's always cracking jokes. So, so she, she, she suggests that SRW means sexy romance weapon, but it's like, what, does it seduce the enemy? <laughs> no, they, they don't actually outright say it, but it's clear that it... And it stands for Super Robot Wars. You actually says that. Isn't it obvious it means Super Robot Wars? And everybody's like, that's just stupid. <laughs> I'm glad they break the fourth wall in that show. <laughs> this is known as the L5 campaign because uh, Nevim showed up at uh, the Grange Point 5. So they go and they attack, and this leads into episode uh, 25 of the anime, which was just wall-to-wall -wall awesomeness in every facet. <laughs> and so they're basically just all the Earth's forces combined together fighting these aliens who have their uh, bugs, and they also have their, uh, their uh, humanoid mecha and stuff like that. Ingram shows up using the uh, R-Gun, which is another one of the R-Series that turns into a giant gun. And, um, the uh, nice name, Metal Genocider. <laughs> yeah. When it's in gun mode, that's a great name. So, uh, since we're almost at the end of Divine Wars, uh, tell us about the uh, the Die SRX, because that was like big news when it came out, and that's another big difference from the from the game. Yeah, it's um for for anybody who's played Alpha Three, they are familiar with it. They know who Cobra Gordon is, and uh, he, he's this uh, clone of Ingram from an alternate dimension. Right. And uh, 
he's known as the time diver, which is somebody who hops around from world to world and just makes sure everything's going properly. Like, make sure everything's the way it's supposed to be and make sure events that are supposed to happen, happen. Right. So, um, when they, they defeat uh, Ingram, who had this upgraded Argon Reval, who was this evil-looking mech there, and they, they beat him, and, uh, the deck, SRS got pretty trash in the fight, and then against, uh, Judeca, which is, like, the main, the, it was the core of Nevin, which is, uh, which was piloted by, uh, this chick named, uh, Levi Tolar, who, who was actually my Kobayashi and his Aya's sister, but she was kidnapped by Ingram a while ago and brainwashed, mm -hmm. and, uh, so after her Judek is defeated, this uh, failsafe device kicks in in Meteor 3, you know, the uh, thing where they got all their technology from. It actually rises off of Earth and goes into space, and it gets all these huge crystals grown out of it and everything. What? And it, it turns out it's this thing called uh, Septuagint. I, I can't really pronounce it, but it, it's basically if um, the Arrogators are uh, the Balmany Empire, as they're actually called. They go around from planet to planet, and they uh, cultivate soldiers from the planet pretty much like they send them technology have them create it and then they swoop in and then they steal everything and then use them as their own army but if uh, a species kind of defeats them right just so they have the failsafe device the subjugant who will wipe out the entire race so it turns out it's piloted by uh this guy called a uh, yusuf gozo who's like created ingram because ingram's like a clone or something like that there's lots of genetic engineering going on right a anyway so he's pretty much uh destroying everything and he has the srx trapped in it because it fell into the atmosphere but he picked it up so they can't do anything but then uh cobra shows up and uh he tells ingram like to get it together and stuff and uh so he he gives power to the srx um the astranagant or astranagan is uh if you watch episode one you see it and the dis astranagan fighting each other they're like the shadowed out mechs so um Stranagun shows up, breaks through Septigan, tosses the SRX out, and then uh, Cobra talks to Rusei and says, oh, you, you guys can beat him, but, but you need my help here, and so I'm going to give you my power. And then the, the SRX transforms into the Die SRX, which is a merger of uh, the SRX and the Dis of Stranagan. So it uses this ultimate attack there called Einsulf R, and uh, blows up Septigan and everybody else kind of chucks in and tosses, like, fires at it, and big explosion, and SRX reverts to normal and happy end. Well, wow, it sounds like, a, sounds like a wild roller coaster ride, man. Yeah, it does. There was a, a DVD-only epilogue episode, but we don't really have time to talk about that. Uh, overall, since I didn't finish watching Divine Wars, how do you think it fares as an adaptation of uh, OG-1? Well, I, I know a lot of people have problems with it for numerous reasons. Like, the, the CG isn't that great, though I find it tolerable. And yeah. sometimes the animation has uh, some pretty bad quality to it. So again, I yeah. don't really yeah. notice that kind of stuff. So a lot of people don't like it, but yeah. more people became accepting of it once it got going and it got into more of the major events. And uh, so overall, like I, I really liked it. I mean, I'm, I'm buying the damn thing. <laughs> so I, I better have liked it. <laughs> I'd hope so. But it, it might not be like stellar. It might not be like a masterpiece. It might not be talked about for years to come, but it's in, enjoyable, which is... Uh, the reason I watch this kind of stuff is just to enjoy myself. I don't need to see something deep or whatever, and if I don't enjoy it, then it's kind of lost on me. So it, it, overall, it was a lot of fun, it, especially some more like break episodes where they focus more on comedy. 
And that's one of the great things about the game, too, is just that, like, instead of reading through boring stories between each mission, it's just a fun ride, and they've cracked jokes all over the place and lots of in-jokes. and okay. Especially with Excellent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Excellent's real card. She's cracking jokes all, like, every scene she's in, and she's always messing up Japanese idioms and stuff like that. Personally, uh, from, from what I saw of Divine Wars, uh, yeah, the CG's not that great. I think it uh, gets a lot better in the second half, like when they start... Uh, heating up the war with the Divine Crusaders. And the animation does get better on. It does have some major lapses in quality at the beginning. It's pretty inconsistent. I always think about, uh, from way back in Episode 2, like, the the buffed-up muscular Ryusei. Like, he instantly, like, they show him without a... He's in a sleeveless shirt, and he's got these, like, massive muscles. It's like, wait a second. Where the hell did this come from? I also think, you know, from what I've seen of the games, it may be a lot to cram into just 26 episodes, but I think they do a pretty good job of hitting the major points. So, to uh, wrap this up quickly, let's hit up the uh, OAV, which actually was produced before the TV show, and is set after original Generation 2. Basically, it's sort of this uh, guy who was pissed off that he lost his family during the war, and he has this mecha called the Bartol that uh, is like the new unmanned mecha, but of course it goes crazy, and there's a whole war, and these Bartols start, they have like zombie pilots in them, and his idea is to like, you know, merge humanity's consciousness all together like Ava, some sort of crazy thing like that. Briefly, I know you really like the series, uh, Peter, so what are your thoughts on the OAV? Uh, the OAV was actually packaged with the pre-order of the Japanese version of o, uh, OG2. Yeah. So when you got the game, it came with the first episode. Th- this was my first exposure to Super World Wars. I had kind of heard about it beforehand. I knew it was like a, a, a mesh of a bunch of robot shows together and stuff. So so when I was first watching the episode, I was like, hmm, when's Amuro going to show up? But <laughs> So even though I like didn't have any idea of the backstories or anything, like the robots look cool, it's like, okay, I'll give this a shot. I, and I watched it, and like, I, I enjoyed it. It was just robots kicking some ass. And Yeah, it was also my first exposure to Super Robot Wars, and I, I enjoyed it too. A lot of people say, like, oh, if you don't play the game, you don't understand anything. And that's probably true, but I hadn't even started playing the games yet when I saw the OAV and I didn't really have much trouble following the story. Yeah, there's a lot of characters and only, you know, and some of them like like Zanger and Elzem, they only get like brief cameos, but you get a basic idea for how things go and, you know, you can follow it. It's You may not understand every detail, but, you know, I think it's enjoyable even if you've not had any prior exposure to uh, the games. Now, how does it... Um, I know they retconned some parts of um, the OAV when they released original generations on the PS2. So what did they do there? Um, the the basic story is more or less the same. Where you got Jurgen there, and he wants to make it so humanity is all one thing, and then the Bartles are flying around and protecting us from whatever aliens come around. And though so they like added a lot more stuff, like this mech called the Moranga, which is the uh, prototype of the Bartol, mm-hmm. and so those are flying around too, so it's not just the Bartle. And pretty much the same thing, like Lamia gets captured and so do the school kids and then they go to Hellgate to fight them and they get save them, get them back and stuff. And you got more of your mechs there instead of just the ones that show up in the OVA instead. But right. the major things came at the end there where uh, instead of piloting a uh, crystal see-through version of the uh, Bartle, Jurgen's actually piloting this uh, mech called the Valzion custom type CF, which is a mass-produced Valzion, and uh, although that particular model wasn't mass-produced, it was supposed to be. And anyways, 
Yeah, in the OVA, uh, Kyosuke saves Lamia, and she gets taken back to the Gane, but in, in the game, Jurgen shows up and blasts her out of uh, the Altaizen's hand when he was holding her. Ooh. So she's presumed dead. She was written off as MIA. And then uh, then after you like reduce Jurgen's HP down, this event happens where uh, Duminus, which is the uh, main villain of Super Robot Wars R, she shows up and then she kills him instead because apparently she was helping him out but she's like, guy, you served your purpose, I don't need you anymore. So she she kills him and then the uh, the Shura, which are this race of like, think of them kind of like the Saiyans from Dragon Ball Z where they just kind of show up and they like fighting people and stuff with their robots. <laughs> so the Shura show up and then you have the R villains and the R protagonists and that leads in the Original Generations Gaiden, which incorporates 2.5, which is what the OVA was basically was. So that's in there, and then you have, and it goes on, and like you fight Duminess and the Shura, and then you get Edora to come to your side, and then uh, Dark Brain, which is like the uh, pure, unadulterated evil, shows up, and he he's like the second final boss, and then Shu shows up at the end, and he's he transforms into Neo Grandson, which is more powerful Grandson, and then you fight him and then end up killing him. And So that's the original de- Generations Gaiden, which was re- released uh, not too long ago. Yeah, and then uh, finally to wrap this up, we got coming out pretty soon on the DS, uh, <laughs> this new game, uh, uh, SRW OG Saga, Endless Frontier. So that's something to look forward to in, uh, in this franchise. So I think we've pretty much covered everything. Um, Peter, any closing thoughts on the anime or the uh, games franchise as a whole? Um, just great stuff. I mean, you appreciate it more if you're into the whole giant robot genre, and then you you'll get a lot more of the in jokes. Right. Like there was this one hilarious one in OG2 where they almost said Red Comet, but like, hey, you're gonna get us in trouble. <laughs> That's funny. Yes, I've seen that one. Uh, speaking of OG2, would you be looking forward to if they ever did? Uh, an anime adaptation of that. Oh yeah, definitely. As I said, OG2 is better than OG1 in every single facet, especially the story. Though I don't think they would never be able to fit it in 26 episodes. Because whereas OG1, you just have the Divine Wars and then the Arrogators. In OG2, you have the, the new Divine Crusaders, the uh, Shadow Mirrors, the uh, Inspectors, and the Ainz. So they're fighting them all at pretty much the same time. So it has a lot more to it, and it's a lot less... Uh, they, they have more or less just random missions that don't really mean anything. So it's a lot, wow. everything is a lot more meaningful in OG2 than it is in OG1. So they definitely need more episodes. Yeah. Well, personally, I'm uh, you know going to be collecting uh, the TV show once it, the price goes down, and I'm right in the middle of playing um, OG1 on X-Route. So here's hoping uh, Atlas or, or Bandai please release Original Generations on, on PS2 and Original Generation Gaiden, and maybe Endless Frontier on DS, please. I'd like to play them. Um, Adam, Paul, any uh, any thoughts on OG? You guys looking forward to uh, maybe playing some more games or checking out that anime? It's it's a lot of stuff, I can say that much. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 yes, it is. It is a lot of stuff. I, I really I really have to hunt it down. Um, yeah. I, I did hear I, I, I do see a lot more um, Japanese imports coming through to the PS2, so there might be a good chance um, Atlas might bring it or they're bringing Arcana Heart, so I, I'm assuming they probably will bring Original Generation on the PS2 sometime soon, hopefully. So. Here's hoping. Here's hoping. Yeah. Here's so for hoping. now, we have the GBA games, and so those are a great play. Yeah. So. yeah, they are great. They are definitely great, so I recommend that to anybody. I would definitely hunt those down. And, um, of course, we'll be talking in the future about Alpha 
Alpha and the original Classic Timeline and all these other things, so we'll definitely be hitting up Super Robot Wars again in the near future. Again, I'd like to thank Peter for joining us for this segment and giving us his Super Robot Wars expertise. We'll be having him back to talk about some other shows as well as Super Robot Wars. And uh, maybe we'll even talk about the mediocre Cybuster. Or not. <laughs> or not. So uh, that's it for this segment, and uh, we'll be right back on Gundam at MAHQ. You think you're the best. I hope you are. The Gundam mobile suit is a fully articulated, fully equipped machine, armed with the most sophisticated weaponry known to man. To be a complete Gundam pilot, you must train on both Gundam systems. Believe me, gentlemen, to beat the best, you have to be the best. Welcome back to the show with more game than Bob Barker. That's right, Gundam at MAHQ. <laughs> <laughs> and on this next segment, we are talking about. We're actually we're going to we're going to jump the gun a little bit. Well, I wouldn't say jump the gun, but um, we're going to do something. Jump the Gundam. Do we jump the Gundam? That's right. Gundam. And we're going to compare our favorite franchise of sci-fi to two other favorite franchises of sci-fi around the world. Um, one of them was the probably the first franchise, and it, um, in like Gundam. Um, it was resurrected from cancellation, and that would be Star Trek. And then another one came about a decade later and just exploded onto the scene. And that's probably the one that's most regarded about around fans around the world, and that's Star Wars. And we're actually going to run a uh, comparison of all three franchises, what they have in common, what they have um, that differ from each other, and what our opinions are of each and how they compare and contrast. And um, Also some of the influences that they've had on and, each other, and, and Exactly. And since they both... since both Star- Cultural impact. And cultural yes. impact. And since Star Trek and Star Wars did both come before Mobile Suit Gundam, um, they have had impacts on Mobile Suit Gundam, and we're going to talk about some of the influences that th- both those series have had on Mobile Suit. For those fans of the other two franchises that want to have always been interested in Gundam now's the time to actually get to find out a little bit of what they have in common and what they have different and what mm-hmm. they all bring to the table but um I guess we'll start with the similarities first and um did um either of you guys have any um similarities to point out well they're both in space oh no they're all in space <laughs> well it'd be kind of <laughs> it wouldn't work if neither if any of them were in sp- none of them were in space thank you Captain Obvious right yeah that, that should be your new name on the forum yes. Captain Obvious <laughs> instead of Hawkeye and Demian Captain Obvious um, Captain Obvious I would say the most obvious similarities are of course with Star Trek and, and Gundam is that um, mm-hmm. you know the original series of both didn't do too well in the ratings got cancelled yeah. Yeah. did much better in reruns and you know, and, and created this this large fan base, and then we're both you know resurrected with new productions and have lived on ever since then. Um, obviously, with Gundam, it was a much shorter turnaround time because the show was canceled in 1980 and went into reruns right away. And then the first of the movie trilogy came out in 1981, and you know inspired the. And then by 85, you had Zeta, whereas with um, Star Trek, you know, the show was almost canceled after its first season, right. lived on until its third, ended in 1969, and then in the uh, late 70s, you had that aborted attempt to create a Paramount Network 
before the one in the 90s, which was going to have Star Trek Phase 2 that was going to be like continuing adventures of the Enterprise with some new characters and some old. And right. uh, they actually got pretty far with that and having like, they had like 13 scripts done, they had sets built, and then they eventually wow. uh, canceled that in favor of doing uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture. Some of the uh, elements of that ended up in the show, some characters. Um, I believe the script for Motion Picture started off as a script on, uh, on this uh, Star Trek Phase 2. And coincidentally, two episodes from Star Trek Phase 2 were later uh, recycled and rewritten a little bit for Next, Next Generation. Generation. Wow. I was about to say. I didn't know that. Yeah, one of them uh, was during the second season when they had the writer's strike in 1988 and they needed something. So they just took a script that was sitting there for, you know, 10 years and said, hey, let's cut out, scra- search and replace uh, Kirk and Picard, and, you know, here we have a Next Gen script. Yeah. Oh. And they did another one later on in the, the fourth season of Next Gen. But um, yeah, I would say that, you know, the other biggest similarity is that for the most part, both of these franchises have been going strong for many, many decades. Uh, You know, Star Trek, they just had their uh, 40th anniversary back in uh, 2006. And with Gundam, you know, we'll be hitting up the uh, 30th anniversary next year. So the big Big three. Oh, so you know, they're both very long lived franchises. And of course, um, you know, last year was the 30th anniversary of, Star Wars. Well, well, Chris, Chris, you sound like you know your Star Trek, man. Have you been, have you been unfaithful? I, I used to be, <laughs> I used to be very, very big into it, but uh, the me too, me too. Later, later entries in the uh, series drove me away, namely Voyager and Enterprise. I think that, <laughs> I think that's how we both probably ended up segueing into Gundam because you know, yeah. our love for you know science fiction, you know, same for Neo, 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 you know. He he won't he won't outwardly admit it, but you know he he pervades some Star Trek, you know. Well, no, I I mean to be honest with you, the only experiences of Star Trek that I really know is I I know the original series because as a kid mm-hmm. I used to watch it on um, on syndication, and I watched the first couple of movies. Um, I never really watched the Next Generation because to be honest with you, I, I don't even know when it came on, and mm-hmm. and you know I, when I watched it, I, I didn't really. Um, feel that it didn't really get me. What, so, do, you, what, I mean, what do you call Captain Picard? Captain Stooping. Because <laughs> it was the good ship. It was the good ship Enterprise. It was like a cruise <laughs> ship. So he wasn't as swashbuckling as Captain Kirk. Well, I'm sorry. He couldn't be Captain Sam Beckett. So, or Captain <laughs> Sam Beckett. But um, another similarity that I think of those two shows, so getting back to our thing here, yeah. is... Well, no love, for, no love for Captain Sisko. Who's Captain Sisko? Oh, exactly. From Deep Space Nine. I, lo- I oh, love me and Captain Sisko. That, that's the, that's like the one in the space station. The black f- captain. Yeah. Let's just say it. Yeah, the, <laughs> the black captain. We're going to have a black captain, and we're just going to give him a space station so he doesn't do he anything. Wasn't. But um, hey, he got time. a ship, and, and actually one time oh. at a convention, I met Avery Brooks, and uh, he's he's a really cool guy. So yeah, oh, I'm sure he's cool, and he's he's a, he's a, he's a great actor too. So he uh, he did he did a great job with that part. But anyway, he he, he has to be cool. He was a man named Hawk. But uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Anyway. But the other thing about, especially with Star Trek and Star or Gundam, is the kind of the focus on technology that you always see, and there is kind of a lot of like the techno babble, even yeah. though it seems like it's it it can be a little bit more so in tachyon particles. Star Trek, it seems Minoski like sometimes particles. it's a little. I think Star Trek does it a lot more, though. I mean, it's like let's let's like yeah. yeah. Oh, we need to do an inverse tachyon phase induction pulse, and <laughs> you know, in Gundam, it's more like you know, Minoski particle inc- they density s- is rising. Yeah, and, you know, they 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 keep it pretty pretty simple in 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 Gundam, whereas in Star Trek, it's like 
you know, what sort of boondoggle piece of junk technology are we going to fabricate today for something? Episode. Yeah, because you really like know how their engines work almost. If you watch like five <laughs> episodes of Star Trek, it's like I think you could build one of those uh, engines because of the way, how much they talk about them. We've got to crawl in the Jeffries tubes and shut down the warp nacelle. Oh boy! <laughs> but um, I and I, I guess what are what are some other things you would say on on some of the similarities? I guess kind well, of the uh, iconic characters of all three franchises would be there. Well, what about any similarities for um? Star Gundam Trek and Star Gundam, Wars. or Star Wars and Gundam. Star Wars and Gundam. To um, me, I think the biggest one is kind of the mysticism behind, like the Jedi, new types, that Jedi thing, and then the new types, the new types. Yeah, that's that's the biggest like similarity that I see between them because the Jedi's can kind of feel everything, and they can feel other Jedi's or people that use the Force, and right. same thing with the new types. It's um, even though it's more like mythical and like mi- more mysticism in star wars it seems you know because well it was until they introduced the the midi chlorines and gunked that up yeah, yeah. that's true that's true they, they kind of we try to forget up. those movies yeah <laughs> but um what about uh I, other similarities between them i between star wars and gundam uh the beam saver yeah i would say which um, one one of one of course influenced the other but yeah yeah so i mean um that and um some of the character types uh, I'd have to say, you know, you you find, you you find in Mobile Suit Gundam, I guess the characters are a bit more flawed than say in um, Star Wars, where they're a bit more laid well, out. Well, they're either good or evil. Even though, yeah. uh, what's his face, Vader gets kind of. Well, you it's know. it's Star Wars. They're they're I think they're more flawed too because you got someone like you know Han Solo who yeah. you know he's 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 a profiteer, but then you know he sort of still has a, a conscience and that that heart of gold. Whereas you know. Um, in most Star Trek, for the most part, at least early on under Roddenberry, you had this unrealistic yeah. view of you know humanity and the future is perfect and everybody's happy and gets along. Very true. Oh yeah. Which I really don't agree with. So I'm glad that you know in Deep Space Nine they went the opposite direction and had people who didn't get along because you know number one, how can you have drama if everybody's all happy and and you know getting together? Which has always been one of my big things with uh, Star Trek is, I mean, I guess if we wanted to kind of just go into like some of our things that maybe kind of uh, we don't like or whatever is your whole thing that you just said with Star Trek that it always seemed like the Federation and the humans and everything that they were doing was perfect and yeah. like everybody should follow and you man, know mankind. they would they would go to a, a planet there'd be issues there and they'd be like well you should be more like us yeah. instead of like you know trying to work to a resolution or whatever so mankind had freed itself of all its ills like money and and greed and and war and all of that in in a f- same future time and if you take Gundam Double O, which takes place at the same daggone time as say what Star Trek the Next Generation, calendar wise, you know you know things haven't changed much. You know we, yeah. we we live in a more of a futuristic society, but you know a lot of things are still the same. We still have the same problems. You know mankind's a bit more united, but still divided in a lot of ways. And money still controls everything. The battle of resources is still there. Yeah. You know it's kind of unrealistic to think that you know. But then again, I think. The difference between Star Trek and Gundam in that sense was um, aliens intervened and humanity, like the the Vulcans showed up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as opposed, there was no really big factor in Gundam where you know mankind wasn't left on mankind was still left unchecked. Well, that by that's, anybody else. That's always been the the di- that's the glaring difference between the three uh, franchises is with Star Trek and Star Wars. You're always introduced to a colorful world of 
different aliens. Yeah. I mean, I swear to God, in Star Trek, it seems like they have, you know, hundreds of different types of aliens. Star Wars, it's like, wow, there's like thousands of different types of aliens. That's really what enriches that universe. And Gundam, there's really no talk, and except if you talk about that the winged, winged whale, whale and <laughs> space whale from seed yeah space whale and <laughs> oh seed so you know um space willy but uh <laughs> you know that that's the only real talk and, and they don't really go outside of um you know the other one would be too is in star wars and star trek they travel like all over the galaxy yeah gundam they just what's the furthest point they've gone is what jupiter jupiter yeah so i mean and, and just discovered most everything is is earthbound mm-hmm. or around the space of earth so personally um, i think um although it's not part of this this topic of discussion i think uh thematically gundam probably has more in common with babylon 5 whereas even yeah. though babylon mm-hmm. 5 has aliens the scope is more limited and you have humanity uh, technologically, they're the weakest of all the major powers, and they're still pretty divided from yeah. their most recent history of you know warfare between themselves. And you know, a lot of the people in in, uh, in Babylon Five are pretty nasty, and they're they're not like the nicest people. So you know, a lot of them are corrupt, and you know, you have sort of like sounds like Gundam. Yeah. So I think thematically, there's a lot more similarity between uh, Babylon Five. And Gundam, as far as like these big interstellar franchises with aliens go, but that's that's a topic for another day. Yeah, that that is interesting. I mean, I've never really watched that show, so I couldn't really comment on it one way or the other. But um, that that does kind of, that does sound kind of interesting. I know that that show's got a, a huge following, is and some of the things I heard about is quite interesting. But that's true. But yeah. um, any other kind of differences or any other things that we might want to. Well, huge difference between um, it, this is Star Trek and Star Wars um, combined uh, versus Gundam is that Gundam is the only show out of the three that features mobile suits. Mm-hmm. You know, you have that. You have a, you have fantastic technology in all three series. Yeah. Um, Star Star Wars has the least explanation behind their technology than the other two, but that's perfectly fine. It kind of fits the mo- You know, the yeah. the genre. Not well, it really takes place in a galaxy far, far, far away. away. So. And, and it also that also it also brings up the point that Star Wars takes place in the past. Well, Star Trek and Star Star Trek and Gundam take place in the future, although you really, know, Star Wars is in the past. A long time ago, long ago. Oh, that's far, right. Far, far I'm away. sorry, I, for, I yeah. forgot that part of the of the opening montage. But um, you, you know, it's it's um, that's another one of the differences. Um, uh, I can talk about the differences of the fan bases. Well, also, back, back to the technology though, real quick. Yeah. I think. The one thing that Gundam has outside of even like what you just said earlier with Star Trek, Star Trek is around the same time as Mobile Suit Double Zero. Yeah. If you look at them, though, everything, if you look at it in today's world, what seems more feasible if you kind of just kind of gauge how technology progresses? Mobile Suit Double Zero looks a little bit more where we're still going to we're going to have these fantastic things. We're going to have mobile suits. We're going to have these space elevators and and all these cool technology. Mm -hmm. But the cities are still going to look pretty similar. You know, it's even though it's like 300 years in the future, the cities look pretty similar. Most of the vehicles, you know, normal vehicles look kind of similar. So I guess that is what makes that kind of endearing to people is that it's like this is what could happen. It's that one aspect of technology progressed, not all aspects. Not all aspects. Like if you, I remember watching stuff in like Star Trek where like um, when, especially like one of the movies where they go to San Francisco, it doesn't even look like San Francisco. You know, they they still got like the bridge, the Golden Gate and the Bay Bridge and all that. But, you know, they're showing like these futuristic looking buildings and it's, 
you know, it's, I know that that's the thing that they're trying to achieve, but I think the technology seems more feasible and more, yeah. A little too futuristic. I, I, I agree. Gundam, you know, granted these are all science fiction, so, right. you know, I say realistic loosely and in quotes, but, you know, Gundam is more realistic in that, you know, a space yeah. colony is something that's possible. Yeah. Uh, a space elevator is possible. You know, the ships, mm-hmm. they all move very slowly and it takes, you know, a lot years to get to Jupiter and back. Yeah, you know, you don't have starships that are, you know, bending the space-time continuum. And, exactly. You know, big giant lasers and quantum torpedoes and, you know, transporters and replicators and all this other wacky stuff that really just is, you know, out of the out of the realm of possibility within the time it's supposed to take place in. Yeah. And, and given and, and to give the technology presented in Gundam some credit, outside of the mobile suits, a lot of it is actually feasible and built on scientific theory. And, you know, yeah. you know, it's been really, you know, really thought out and the effects of it, like the O'Neill cylinders yep. that people live in. And, and, and the and, mass um, drivers. And the mass drivers and just a lot of yeah. things that presented in Gundam, you know, have been, you know, drawn up to as, as, as alternatives of living in space. You know, that, that when one day we can actually get that technology affordable and create it, you know, maybe one day that's exactly what people will be living in. The, the well, I'd have to say, too, I mean, even the even the mobile suits to an extent. I'm sure that the mobile suits are, you know, the our government or military has talked about, not in the way that the Gundam is, yeah. but more or less like, you know, like the powered armors from Starship Troopers and, you know, s- stuff like that. And even to the extent, you know, on a smaller scale. Like so. Botomes or something, yeah. yeah. I would think at least that the most realistic is like, uh, you know, the petite mobile suits like you see in, mm-hmm. in Zeta, you know, which basically are, are worker units. So right. know, if you have, you know, a space station or a lunar development or space calling development having, you know, a sp- small basically powered armor like that that's used as as a worker unit is probably more realistic than say a giant fighting robot but um, I guess that would be kind of in on like some of the differences what, and stuff th- and there are a few of the differences um, what's that the fact that um, Mobile Suit Gundam out of all the series has the most on screen time oh. with different you know pretty much has the most material on video than the other two I think combined if you were to look at it if you were to collect how many hours that of, of Gundam that's available on video as opposed to I don't know about that because uh, you, you don't think so most of the the Star Trek shows are pretty long and mind you they're an hour episodes are an hour so yeah that is, that is true I you know what I, I'm probably I'm probably talking and about behind I, I'd probably <laughs> say that if you're if you're thinking of like um, how in, a, in the scope of how big these franchises are I think my my me personally I think um, that probably the star trek has probably got the biggest amount of material because you think so i was reading a thing that there's like tons of books too on the star trek um oh there are there's tons of books and comics and yeah well when it, when it and i mean i know there's a lot for star wars, wars too, too but i was reading this thing that um i was talking about this before we were talking about you know to kind of prep on some of this because i don't know about all these shows and all that but yeah um i didn't realize the plethora of books that there are and what was amazing is one of the biggest uh, one of the one of the uh, uh most popular writers is actually captain kirk himself yeah he, uh, William uh, Shatner. i he, thought that was kind of interesting too where you know well that's a few if assume that he actually wrote them because he always has like a pair of right co-writers and there's a lot of allegations that uh, you know he's they're just, just ghost writers for him yeah they just put wow. his and he's just there to sell the book his oh, name is to sell the he's book. just there to sell the book with yeah. his with his name and his face plastered on it uh one thing i like to point out is um 
in terms of the overall longevity of the franchises, right? And you know, in terms of the way they've been managed, I think Gundam, you know, over the course of its lifespan, has been managed better yeah. than either Star Trek or Star Wars. Because with uh, Star Wars, everything was great, you know, for the original trilogy. But then George Lucas amassed piles of monies, <laughs> and uh, you know, he's finance he financed the ori- the the prequel trilogy out of his own pocket. Yeah. Movies were not financed by Fox. Wow. Fox just distributes it and puts out the DVDs. But all three of those movies were made by him and I give him credit he made them for about 100 million a pop or something so yeah. you know he makes these big movies for even less than the big studios do but because of that if you notice he directed all three of the prequels sadly he sadly wrote all of them oh sa- horribly <laughs> so unfortunately in the case of Star Wars there's nobody who George Lucas hands in his script to and they say hey George this is a piece of crap I want you to change this mm-hmm. yeah you know no no checks and balances established by the studio in between studio and writer there's no checks and balances because he's he's the final word yeah so you know that's how we end up with Jar Jar Binks and all those other mm-hmm. disgraceful moments from the prequel trilogy pod racing uh, <laughs> And, and we're going to throw the second most powerful Jedi out the window. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, Sam. Oh, Sam. But, um, yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you on that because I think um, uh, a way to kind of allude to that is Gundam, I think. I think with Gundam, you're not if you're going to be a director or a writer, you're not locked in necessarily always with yeah. what – the Gundam standard is. I think there's standards for all of them, mm-hmm. and Gundam has a standard. I mean, it, right. you know, there's always going to be a Gundam mobile suit. Yeah. There's always going to be specific things, but you know, each little you know, thing of each show or each movie has always been a little bit different. Yeah, and they take a different take. Yeah, potentially. There's a lot more it. freedom. Each show is as each show is as good as its staff because you know, similarly with uh, with Star Trek yeah. for a long time, uh, after Gene Roddenberry died, you had Rick Berman in control, oh. and he really flushed the franchise down the tubes that with, he did. Uh, with Voyager and Enterprise, and pretty much you know oh. killed it through. So you know, there's really not much room for you know creativity. Like at the time, you know. He, he focused his attention on Voyager and ignored DS9. So the DS9 people were able to do whatever they wanted yeah. because he wasn't watching over them. But then Voyager was very mediocre. Enterprise was more mediocre. And, uh, you know, that really just killed the franchise. So, uh, you know, now thankfully... Which is sad because I think the yeah, Enterprise show could have been better because it had a great concept. I mean... It had a good concept, but... You got a prequel. They just did... They recycled some a lot of stories, too, it seems. Here's here's my two main beasts with Enterprise in regards to this aspect. Right. One, it's mostly the same staff that was behind Voyager. Right. So if Voyager ends and it was a very poor show, and then you have the exact same team <laughs> moving on to the new show, why would you expect it to be any different? Yeah. And then number two, you had, at the beginning, Enterprise recycling all these concepts like, you know, oh, we got the Borg, but this is the first time that they met, and oh, we got the Kring but this is the first time that it happened. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. there's a transporter thing, but it's the first time that it happened. <laughs> yeah. It makes for a lot of, um, at least a lot of inconsistency well, later on. Knowing A lot of inconsistency. So, you know, you had Jeez. Star Trek under the boot of Rick Berman for a long time, and now thankfully he's gone, and you've got the new movie with J.J. Abrams. Abrams. So. Now, I know Neo, Neo, you don't care too much for J.J. Abrams. No, he's horrible. 
But 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 you saw, horrible, you saw the trailer but, for the new Star Trek. Well, that doesn't mean they can't do something good. I mean, well, what did they reinvent the franchise? I'm not a big fan more? of Star Wars, what? but it, I'm I'm a great fan of Empire Strikes Back. Well, what, but, there you go. There you but, go. No, I'm actually I I like the look of that one because it looks like it's going to be. But I, it was only the it was just showing the Enterprise there in, in the yeah. in the dockyard, so it's not too. I haven't seen anything else. San but, Fran. But I do. I am kind of <laughs> interested in seeing it though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, you have to wait until May 2009 because it got pushed back from Christmas. Yeah. So it sure did. Uh, you know, with Gundam, you know, each each show has you know a different staff usually. So it's the show is as good as that staff. Yeah. Like, so you know, Seed, mm. my opinion, is all right. Destiny, worse. Yeah. But then you got Double <laughs> O with a different team, and they've been putting out a solid show so far. So with Gundam, basically, you know, if one show's a screw up, you have the opportunity to fix it in the next show with a new staff and a new concept. With Star Trek. You really don't. And Which the other thing, too, is Gundam never locked themselves into that same universe. They didn't yeah, have a see. problem with deviating as saying, you know what? We're going to keep the Gundam Gundam aspects of a show, but we're going to yeah. show it in a different way, in a different time different period interpretation. and all that. Yeah. Where Star Trek, it's like, yeah. it's just, it's one big continuous thing. And, and along with Star Wars, the same thing. I mean, it's one big continuous thing of yeah it's always always the same thing in star trek it's always you know a show about the federation that's true mm-hmm. and either on a starship or you know the one time on ds9 where they had a space station yeah yeah so it's always the same perspective of the federation who usually are the good guys you never get to see anything from another perspective yeah so and that's the other you know gundam at least variates oh, that i'm sorry that was the other thing too that Gundam also makes the the line between good and evil a lot more fuzzier yeah. um, than Star Wars show. and Star Trek, and, and and the biggest example of that is you know Zeta Gundam, yeah. where you know all of a sudden now the the guy that was the you know the main baddie in the first show is now you know he's put as the hero. And if you were to compare, um, say Star Trek to Gundam and Star Wars to Gundam, you could say that. The original Gundam is more like Star Trek, while Zeta Gundam is more like Star Wars, because yeah. the lines between good and evil were were a lot more finite yeah. in Zeta Gundam than they were, and um and in, in Gundam where you know you kind of got to sympathize with both sides. Like the Klingons, they were shown as kind of like the aggressors in the original Star Trek, but there were some episodes where actually you know they were cool. Yeah. Um and you know. But but it wasn't really until the next generation that they were more humanized. That is yeah. true. That is true. You know, there's basically in the original series they're just a bunch of screaming, you know, war hungry maniacs. But it wasn't until <laughs> next generation the fact that they added Worf into the mix that really humanized them and then DS nine yeah did a lot more with the Klingons too. So it took, you know, the entries from like twenty years later to really flesh out that race more and, you know, as a consequence, they're probably the most fleshed out race in that entire franchise. That's yeah. true. And even though Zeta probably even more so the Vulcans, right? Yeah. yeah. Though Zeta's a bit more black and white because it's obvious, you know, the Ayug is good and the Titans are bad. The fact is that you had that role reversal mm-hmm. of, you know, the Federation was the good guys in, in the original series and now they're corrupt and they're basically the bad guys in Zeta. So yeah, it is a pretty clear line of black and white, but it's a role reversal that leads to that black and white. And you had a lot more people, you know, with, with the switching of sides too. You had a lot more uh, in that with people being torn between, you know, their old thoughts or their old beliefs exactly. and in this newer world. So mm-hmm. that was always kind of interesting to me too. That's what makes, you know, that, that's what I find 
the most entertaining and the most fascinating about the Gundam universes is that where they had character development and yeah. they were kind of kind of kind of um, stuck in the same kind of positions every episode. Um, that's the main difference between the three, I think, because Star Wars is a continuing saga. Um, well, Star Wars Star has Trek, a flip, but it's just one person. He is really a one person. Yeah, it's, it's Darth Star Vader. Trek. Star Trek is like okay, new scenario, but you know we're gonna end up all fine at the end of the episode. Yeah. And then start and, start, and then Gundam, you don't know what the heck is gonna happen. You don't know who's gonna die, who's gonna live, save save for maybe a few characters who you know carry the show, and even then, nothing sacred. Yeah. So um, that that's that's a bit. But I actually wanted to get into something um having to do with um characters and their development. Sure. And um, there's three iconic characters I think each series has. Gundam, of course, is Shar Aznable, wherein the Gundam. He was kind of an antagonist, but at the same time, you could relate to his struggle. Zeta Gundam, he kind of, you know, downplays himself purposely, and he, he switches sides. And uh, it kind of, I kind of can, even though I don't want to, I kind of compare him in some ways to Darth Vader from Star Wars, because um, he his character goes through development, although we find about it, find out about it in reverse from you know how the movies were introduced and you know both those series those are their most iconic characters because of their character development of each one of those characters right and um i just want to know you guys thoughts on that as well and if they compare and contrast or you know if if one outclasses the other well i yeah i mean i think i think that's a pretty good comparison because um you know here Shar is He's, you know, he's a uh, castle and his family gets killed mm-hmm. and you know people that were that were behind it come in power on the name of his his father and all that and you know he he goes and he you know he fights for them but under the guise of you know killing them and then he realizes that they don't you know that that side was flawed and you know he goes over to the federation the same thing with um darth vader i mean it's it's a little bit different thing because you know it's um you know he goes from good to evil but they have the same thing of how they're how incidences with people that they love made a change and made them become something they weren't castle daikun became char asenball because his parents were killed or his father was killed you know uh what's her face and um um what, what the what's the girl's name in Star Wars? Uh, Padme. Amidala, uh, yeah. Padme. You know he's having these things that she's gonna get killed, yeah. and then you know he becomes Darth Vader. So um, you know that's I do I I feel it's a fair comparison, not complete, yeah. but I can see the similarities in Those some of the struggles. Versus. Chris, uh, personally, yeah, uh, I think it's it's pretty similar comparison. Mm-hmm. Although uh, that Anakin Skywalker spent as a protagonist, he was. You know, an emo whiner and and uh, really not <laughs> likable at all. No, and I don't blame. I hate you. I don't blame Hayden Christensen for that. I just blame George Lucas's crappy writing. Oh yeah, you got to. Uh, I with, mean, with the with with the line delivery of um Oak. <laughs> but i want to be a powerful jedi too obi-wan's holding me back (laughs) and then even the thing his the whole thing about his descent into into evil and darth vader i think it was probably better left in the original trilogy when you didn't know what it was he just became evil because when they actually showed what it was of palpatine like saying like hey you know your your hot wife could die someday. You need to learn these dark arts. It's like it's not like she was dying. He was just saying yeah. someday she could. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like oh, guess I better turn evil so that I can save my wife. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It did, yeah. It didn't. Didn't didn't make any sense at all. 
it was sort of better when you know, that's that's a case where less is more. Less is more. Yeah, really. Yeah, I agree with you there. And then of course, um, you know, like you put in the notes, uh, it's Star Trek. You've got iconic characters. You put that in the notes, Spock, but obviously uh, you could just as easily also be Kirk because they're the both the most well-known characters from from that franchise. That's what Neil was saying to me too. He he he. Um, what were you saying about Kirk? Well, Captain. I mean, the thing about Captain Kirk that makes him, you know, I like about him being the best captain is like. He in in the world of uh, perfection, he sometimes did things because he wanted to. I mean, I remember in the second movie, he was the only guy that beat that simulation because he cheated. He always did. He always did what needed to be done to to get hit to to you know to achieve his goal or whatever. I mean, and that was against with what they were always talking about in the Federation because it was always like you know this is for the good of humanity. You know, Captain Kirk did. He did whatever he wanted just to save his people or save his friends. That's true. So I mean, he was a maverick. Yeah, and and I mean, and Mr. Spock is, and he's a, he's an interesting thing because Mr. Spock always had the, he had the two sides of him that were pulling at him, and you know you'd always see, especially like in some of the movies, you know towards the end he became more human than he was actually a Vulcan because. You know, he he learned to accept of who he was. Yeah. And by the time he shows up in Next Gen, you know, he's he's almost. I would he was say, next I'm, generation. Yeah. He, yeah. Yes. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. <laughs> so, oh, he, I didn't he, know that. So. He was cool in the Next Generation. He was he was a lot less. He he was a lot more emotionally driven in that series. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the few appearances that he had, you could see that he went through some serious changes, which would be interesting because um, when the new movie comes out, uh, you'll get to see you you get to see him as a much older man. He's in it, and um, he's a kind of reflecting back, at least as far as we know, reflecting back on how it all started. So um, it'd be that'd be very interesting to see. But well, um, and the thing of like iconic characters, what do you what do you think is like the most like iconic thing of each one of these franchises, like um. If you could, if there's one thing that you you look at, and you you say that's Star Wars, or you the know, first that, thing that comes to mind, yeah, Stormtrooper, yeah, lightsaber. I would say lightsaber, lightsaber, yeah, and Star Wars, I would say the Enterprise. I yeah. mean, if you see Star Trek, if you yeah, you see the Enterprise is Star Trek, and yep. of course with Gundam, it's, it's the, the RX-78. I mean, yeah. the fact that it's shown up so many times. I mean, how many times has that 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 suit been redesigned? In- oh yeah, there's always there's always a suit in every series. That has a that's very similar to the RX seventy eight. You can go through every one of those shows. You'll see one. Yeah, and and if you you've seen you know in every series, you know the Heroes Gundam always has those same base colors of like red, white, and blue. Yeah, that's true. Yep. With a bit of yellow, and there's never been. Yeah, it always seems like some combination of white and blue with either yellow or red accents. The new is is sort of like white and black, but as far as the TV shows go. You know the the main characters Gundam always has that that white blue and red. And um, another thing that I want to talk about: What do you guys think of the overall cultural impact of each of those shows? Because obviously there there has been one. Well, I mean the Star Wars one's pretty obvious. Yeah. Um, Star Wars is probably globally the most recognizable of of the three franchises Even for good Japan? or bad it is i think that's debatable do you think so yeah i think so really i mean star trek first of all has a 10-year lead on it that's yeah. true. in terms of building up a fan base and you know both franchises have been exposed in countless languages all around the world so 
it's probably more toe to toe between the two. Really? I mean, you're never going to find anybody who can defend, who's going to definitely say it's one or the other because obviously there are people who like one and not the other. But I think they're both pretty close. Well, the, on, the only reason the on, the only reason why I would say I would give the edge to Star Wars is because as a bigger as, audience, I, as I flawed think. as George Lucas is yeah. in his writing, his directing, and all that, he's a hell of a marketer. That is true. Yeah. And I think that of the three series or the three franchises, um, Star Wars has the had the best marketing because I mean Star Wars was everywhere. And yeah. I remember when those the three prequel movies came out, you know, a couple of years ago, it's, the the marketing machine was there again. I mean, on, they had the toys at Burger King and exactly. all this other stuff. I on, mean, yes. On top of that, that's it's the only show that it was only one of the three to hit the ground running and hasn't stopped. Yeah, yeah. In, in a lot of ways, I mean, the other two had setbacks and then well, brought back, and now they've been consistent ever since. You know, but um, Star Wars, you know, when it came out in '77, it was a box box office smash. And, you know, you find more casual fans of Star Wars. Yeah. And you see more Star Wars references in anything. Like, even in regular, like in, in, in other shows and whatnot, there's more references to Star Wars than anything else I've ever seen. And the other thing is, too, is even even after the two horrible prequel movies, yeah, everybody went to go see, as much as I was, as much <laughs> as I, I went to go see Star Wars 3. So it's like I went to go see that, and you know, it, it was just, you get caught up in it. Yeah, and you do. I, I, you're right though. It never seemed like that franchise got the got the kind of uh, the fatigue yeah. that you know Gundam experienced fatigue with Gundam X, and of course um, Star Trek. I think has gotten it with the last two shows. Yeah, most definitely. Well, I, I would I would point out this. Um, number one, Star Trek's marketing sucks. So that is definitely true. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they just can't market. You know, whenever they had these movies come out, especially the recent ones, hardly any marketing. They're not building up demand or anticipation. Uh, number two, as far as references, yeah, you do see a lot more Star Star Wars references and everything. But that's because I think for the most part with the general public, Star Wars is more accepted. And Star Trek fans have always been, you know, yeah. sort of classified as like super geeky, like, you know, Simpsons comic book guy. Kind of geeky. Which there are plenty who are. And thankfully, I never was one of those. But I think they sort of get, uh, yeah. you know, a short shrift there from, <laughs> you know, the general public of, oh, you like Star Trek, you're, you know, you're some uber nerd loser who lives in your mom's basement and you're like yeah. 40 years old and you're a virgin. So, which I personally know some people who do fit into that category. Yeah, that's... Suffice it to say, but... Um, Dang it. <laughs> yeah, like some of these guys who... Some of these guys who like they 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 uh, they're part of these like stormtrooper squadrons. But I'm sure you can find the uh, Star Wars people that are the same way. Um, they just they just hide them better. Yeah. 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 Come on. I mean, <laughs> I, I, like I said, I won't naysay any of them because you know we all got the things we're into. I mean, whether it be these franchises or anything else. So those guys, I mean, they're just really into that. You know, if um if I could you know look good in Gundam cosplay, I I, I might do it. But you know, <laughs> you'd have to pay me. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll gladly take donations too. You can send them to my PayPal account. Right on. Yes. <laughs> Give you the number now. But yeah, I mean culturally, I, you know, and I mean if we go by Japan, I mean Japan's definitely been influenced. Yeah, that's, that's Every time we read stuff flipped. in the news or whatever in Japan, it, I mean Gundam is just. It seems like it actually permeates their culture a lot more than even Star Wars. Oh, of course. And. Um, and Star Trek does here. I'd say Asia would be the big exception to the the, the popularity um, oh, yeah. uh, paradigm shift, where it's Gundam as opposed to the other two, which you know are watched and probably followed, but you know not as heavily as Mobile Suit Gundam in its franchise. Definitely. Yeah. But um. Uh, yeah. One thing I wanted to note, though, you you said about how uh, Star Wars had uh, 
you know, momentum from the ground up. Yeah. And that is true up until the first trilogy ended because that's true. You know, I grew up in the '80s, and after Return of the Jedi came out, Star Wars just kind of disappeared from the landscape. That is true. Yeah, you had some you had some stuff like that cool droids cartoon, and you had those Ewok movies, but <laughs> it wasn't until, and I recall when they announced the prequel trilogy. And way back, like, in 1995, when they re-released the three movies on videotape, you know, the the THX remastered versions. Yeah. That's when Star Wars really started to pick up again. But... So, for, like, a good almost 10 years or so, it was really just sort of, like, very low-key, and, you know, it wasn't Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars. Ever since that point on, it's been, like, in the public consciousness a lot more, whereas through the mid to late 80s and early 90s, it just kind of was, you know... That's true. ...something that happened. That is kind of true. And so they sort of had that same period of dormancy, not for any bad reason, because... No, you know, it was purposely it was, done. You know, it's not like it got canceled, it's just that yeah. it was done, George Lucas moved on to do other things, yep. and, you know, then came back to it, so... It had its own period of dormancy for different reasons than Star Trek, but it's definitely there. You raise a really good point. Last but not least, I wanted to just really touch upon the um, influence is of the t- other two series um, that had on Mobile Suit Gundam. But before we do that, I'd like to just quickly touch upon the creators and just um, like take, for instance, uh, Rod Gene Roddenberry, of course, he's no longer with us. Um, but you know he 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 kind of started the whole thing when it comes to when it comes to Star Trek and he brought at least was able to bring it back with the next generation. I mean that's an example of a spinoff right there. Gundam of course has his own spinoff which was on Zeta Gundam which was headed by Tomino amongst other sequels as well. And then last but not least you have um Lucas who you know of course did the 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 following three movies first and then went back to do the prequels and you know, there was there was a, a different feeling between the two series, and I just what were you guys' thoughts on the creators, and then we'll go into the influences also that um, those series have had on Mobile Suit. But well, I mean, we've I already gone over to me. You know, I don't, yeah, I don't know too much about like Gene Roddenberry. Is that the only thing he ever really did was Star Trek? He tried to do other things, but they just never really. And blew George, up, like, he did, he did, a, he did a lot of stuff before Star Trek. That he but, did um, westerns and whatnot too. And George Lucas has had his hand obviously in a lot of things like Indiana Jones, mm-hmm. and right. Other things. Willow. What I think it's interesting is. Uh, <laughs> You mean The Hobbit, <laughs> the movie? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I think it's kind of interesting in that Gene Roddenberry and, and Tamino are pretty similar in respects that, you know, they both created these huge multi-billion dollar franchises that they really don't have control of because yeah. uh, Star Trek uh, was created by uh, Desilu Productions, which later became part of Paramount, which later became part of Viacom. Then you got Gundam. You know, by Sunrise, which later became part of Bandai. So you have these two mega corporations yeah. controlling the franchise, and uh, you know, taking it in very different directions from what the uh, original creators did. So I think that's interesting. You know, because Lucas, like I said, you know, at first, you know, he 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 had to fight to get Star Wars made, but then became a mega success, and then he turned it into his own personal empire. Yeah, that's true. That he funds and that he benefits from. So, and he's he's really the only one with complete control over his own franchise, as opposed to the other two. But what's sad? What's yeah. sad though? Which which is a good which is a good and bad. Yeah, yeah. You know how far you take it. That's what true. I was gonna say. Which is which is ironic because you you always want creative control, but his creative control to an extent seems like is it's diminished much. that series. It's diminished that franchise a lot because I mean those those last three movies were flat out doo doo, <laughs> and I mean. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm sorry, but you know, it, I I don't care how I don't care how big of a Star Wars fan you are and how much blinders you have. You can't tell me that those last three movies, especially that last movie. It, it, I mean, come on. But uh, that that's a different topic for a different day. But it, I mean, I think Wouldn't with Star Trek and, and and Gundam, because almost because they are corporately owned, the ability to have other people chime in on certain things has helped them and you know help them be as is large and you know catalogs of work and everything that they have so that's true and almost seems like they because of that they encourage the differences with george lucas it's probably you know pay me a fee so i can yeah. you know use my star wars name or very something heavy-handed like with his influence um anything you guys can think of that um mobile suit gundam had you know has those other two series to thank um it, when it comes to influences on the, the original series at least for mobile suit gundam no. Well, visually, like we were talking about, you know, the uh, yeah. the lightsaber and the beam saber. Yep. As I mentioned to you, the uh, the Musai being an upside down Enterprise. Very much yeah. so. I had no. I, I until you brought that up, I, I I never realized that, and it's like, oh my goodness. I mean, Chris is right. It is an upside down Enterprise. Holy. <laughs> yeah. I I don't know. I I'll mean, never look at it the same. It's hard to say because, um, you know, Gundam's not even a tenth of what Star Trek or. Star Wars is here in the States. Yeah. It would be kind of interesting to see, you know, to, to answer that question. If Gundam, you know, was receiving a lot more popularity or, or even a couple of years ago when, when, you know, there was a buzz with Gundam wing and all that. Yeah. So, um, it's hard to say. I, I mean, I think in terms of, you know, the world of science fiction Gundam, I, from what I'm reading and all that is finally starting to be accepted in terms of like um a star wars and a star trek yeah. as being visionary and long lasting and enduring and all that it's growing so, little by but, little and, and it'd know, be interesting to see it, where the it's difficult to really gauge them yeah all at this point it'd be so. nice to see where gundam will be 10 years from now worldwide from the perspective you know how of how people see it and where its fan base will be his worldwide fan base will be 10 years from now i'll i'll offer this as a closing thought uh nugget of something to think about go for it um star wars and star trek obviously were very influential in terms of science fiction and getting science fiction out there but gundam i think to its credit while they added to the science fiction genre mm -hmm. science fiction was already there gundam went and created a whole new genre in anime yes. with, you know, the real robot because the real robot simply would not have ever happened if Gundam hadn't come around. So Very much so. Yeah. That's true. And I'd give Gundam... Or it might have... It could have happened, but in, in a, a different, different way, way. or much later on. So yeah. Gundam was in the right place at the right, right time. time to create a whole new genre that, you know, is still around to this day. So I think it deserves all the props oh, in yeah. the world for doing that. That it does. Yeah, it definitely does. And that's why we're here. Yeah. And um, any, any closing thoughts, Neil? Um... You know, I like I said, I, I mean, of the three, Gundam is got. I have the more connection with Gundam. Yeah. Um, I think because of the, um, you know, the, the the close ties to the real world and all that, and and the interesting characters. Um, it's not saying that I don't dislike the other two, but I think in a way, um, you know, if I was never exposed to Gundam, I'd probably be into either one of them. But um, you know. And, you know, it was just the ability of going and experiencing that, experiencing, you know, what the Gundam shows have is, you know, that's what makes it, you know, enjoyable for me. And I hope with, you know, the new things at Bandai and Namco, there's a new effort and with 
double zero. Hopefully, if whenever they bring it over to the states, you know they, um, you know they they do a better job of trying to uh, you know integrate it into the into the into the fabric of um, you know American society because it is different. And I mean, with cases of a lot of different things, it just it's a slow burn sometimes. That's you true. You just got to keep going at it. So well, that has been our take on uh, comparison to the three series. Um, if you want to. If you want to um, definitely wax more about that, you always go to mechatalk.net where you'll find the um, the thread for this and the other segments we've done today up there. And we will be back. I'm sure this will be the largest uh, forum posting we'll, oh, ha- we'll have to date in the Gundam section. We're going to get an S storm and I can't wait. Oh God. But no, we, we encourage it. You guys, please bring your comments because we want to hear your thoughts on this too because these are... This is something that everybody is, you know, has an opinion on. So, <laughs> well, I will brace myself. Again, you guys are listening to Gundam at MAHQ. Get busy living, or get busy dying. That's Gundam right. Welcome back to Gundam at MHQ. Uh, as usual, we're going to be wrapping up the show at this time. So uh, today we took a look at Super Robot Wars Original Generation, talking a bit about Divine Wars, about the OIV series, and about the uh, various games. So I'd like to personally thank uh, Peter for coming aboard and talking about that. And you'll be seeing him uh, again in the future to talk about some other series that he's reviewed. And um, we also thanks, Pete. Yep, yeah, thank you. We also took a look at um, Gundam, Star Trek, and Star Wars, looking at how they were similar, how they were different, how they uh, had a cultural impact, and how they've you know been around for multiple decades. And um, lastly, you know, just a reminder that uh, we'll be at uh, MegaCon having a live recording of Gundam. That'll be our next episode. Yes, indeed. So if you're going to be in Orlando, come check us out, ask some questions, get on the podcast, and uh, what were the dates on that? again sorry that's sunday march 9th the convention is from the 7th to the 9th we'll be on at 11 a.m that sunday so we'll be posting the details on mhq.net regarding Mm -hmm. the room it'll be in and some more details about what we'll be talking about but i definitely want to encourage people to come out we'd love to yes meet uh, the fans who listen to us definitely if you're in uh if you're in the wang state (laughs) the wang state (laughs) america's yeah (laughs) i i I, speaking of thank you speaking of the fans i'd like to thank three of them um one of them actually assisted with this episode as well as my man my man the number one hoser peter lala lala bert sorry la liberté Thank you. Um, Dr. Encyclopedia Black, one of our fellow um, members of Shinjuku Station, um, helped us with um, the, uh, the, star, the the battle royale between Star Trek, Star Wars, and um, Gundam. I'd like to thank him. He's got a new show coming out, um, The Weekly Cocktail. Let's, um, there'll be more details about that, but it's another one of our podcasts with Shinjuku Station. i also like to thank Hotimus Prime. He's been um, sent, he sent an email to the... The uh, <laughs> to the uh, Gundam, uh, sorry um, <laughs> website on MySpace. Um, he also was looking forward to the Super Robot Wars segment. So again, Peter, we thank you for that, and Hotimus Prime thanks you too. And last but not least, I'd like to thank Advent Sugar. She's all the way over in um, she's one of our female listeners, and she's over in uh, San Diego. Whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. Female listener. We have one. Oh my God. 
<laughs> she's actually been spreading the word about the show. She um, every time we put up a um, bulletin on MySpace, she echoes it, and <laughs> a lot of her friends actually have been tuning in. So we've been getting a lot of feedback from them too. And she's in the running to be um, G Force Gamer Girl. So if you guys can vote for her, you'll find a link on the gun on one of the blogs that um on our MySpace page. So wow, hit her up with some hit her up with some love, just like she's been showing Gundam some love. So um. We thank you, Admin Sugar, and the rest of everybody, and everybody that posts us up at the boards. Thank yeah. you very much. And keep posting. Paul, any thanks? Um, well, I, I thank G- uh, our Lord Jesus Christ <laughs> for giving me the ability to be here today. And <laughs> I l- <laughs> no, actually, <laughs> no. I, just, I like to thank the I like to thank the Academy the, and all the other nominees. The, yes, that and then too. No, I just would I just would like to thank all the people that are continuing to listen and all the people that are continuing to. Um, uh, post on the forums and, and keep it up. I've been trying to be on there at least once every day. So I mean, I need to post more. Um, you know, you guys keep your comments and your suggestions coming. And I just want to let all these guys know too. I, I know that we get a lot of stuff on the suggestions page, and don't think that we're not um, you know writing a lot of this stuff down. We actually have a, a document where there's quite a bit of listener f- suggestions. It's just we're trying to break everything up. So if you don't. If you don't hear you, you know one of your suggestions coming up, uh, one of your topics coming up, don't fret. It may be down the pike, but you know if you have any other ones, please, um, you know, please keep them coming because a lot of them have been very good. So and, and we use quite a few of them for a lot of these uh, for a lot of these segments. But they're going right. That's a good eight though. Yes. <laughs> and uh, last last bit of news since we haven't mentioned in the podcast and we should have mentioned at the beginning. Um, Soon the podcast will have a new home other than the MHQ feature section. Uh, Solbro mm-hmm. registered Gundam.net a while back, and uh, pretty soon there'll be an actual site to visit along with that URL. So uh, be watching for more news on that in the future. We're going to have uh, detailed show notes there. We're going to have a blog where we'll talk about topics from the show and our thoughts, maybe afterthoughts about things after we hear some fan feedback. Yeah. And... Um, Relating to that, I'd like to thank my friend Damian Fuentes. He's a very talented graphic designer. He created the uh, MHQ logo that you see on Mechatalk. Yes, indeed. He also created a similar logo for Gundam that you will soon be seeing on Gundam.net. So uh, my props to him for doing that work for us. Thank you, Damian. You You and your badass name. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) And... uh, on behalf of uh, Saji Crossroad, I'll right be signing out for everyone here, and we'll uh, see you in Orlando on March 9th for episode 11. We look forward to, you know, the terrible teens of Gundam. See Peace ya. See you live. Live. <laughs> see you later. I am and always have been a man alone. Gundam at MAHQ is a Shinjuku station and MAHQ production. I opened up a can of whoop-ass. <laughs>